0: Hi everyone, it's Rachel, and I'm currently on maternity leave, recovering and caring for my new little guy. While I'm away, I'm sharing some of the most popular podcast episodes from the last couple of years, plus some of my personal favorites. In a second, I will tell you about why I picked this episode and what the guest has been up to since we recorded. But before that, I want to make sure to point you to our other two shows, The Strong Towns Podcast and UpZoned both are actively publishing new episodes. Strong Towns podcast runs on Mondays and Upzone runs on Wednesdays. So check those out. If you're craving something new from Strong Towns, head to strongtowns.org slash podcast to see those, or just search for them in your podcast app. And of course, visit strongtowns.org for daily new articles. I'll see you back here in late January. Once I return from leave. Hi and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share stories of the strong towns movement in action. I'm your host, Rachel. Let's start today with a question. If you heard that a new coffee shop was opening in a lower income neighborhood in your city, what would be your reaction? In most bigger cities and plenty of smaller ones, even smaller towns, the coffee shop is this universal symbol for gentrification. It means that this neighborhood has been designated by developers or whoever as the new trendy hotspot and rents are about to go up. At Strong Towns, we've been having an ongoing conversation about the meaning of the term gentrification and the complex story behind this concept that is so often oversimplified in public discourse and media. I will share some related links to articles on this subject in the show notes. It's not nearly as clean cut as poor people live here, now they're getting kicked out. Empty storefronts getting filled, streets getting fixed up, and property values increasing are all good things, especially when we consider the alternative, which is those storefronts remaining vacant, those streets staying neglected, and most importantly, those who live there experiencing continued disinvestment and devaluation of their neighborhood. But the problem comes when the people who live in a given community are excluded from the improvement and the new investment that's happening there. If we can help neighborhoods incrementally revitalize if we can make space and opportunity for residents to start businesses, fix up homes and storefronts and make their community a more prosperous place, then we are accomplishing something different, what incremental development alliance co-founder Monty Anderson calls gentrification. I share all of this to preface today's interview with Cote Sorens, who opened a coffee shop in a lower income immigrant neighborhood in Seattle. She's participating in that positive sort of reinvestment and revitalization rooted in and for the community. Resistencia was founded a few years ago with the intention of being a neighborhood third space. That is a place to hang out and spend time with neighbors outside of the home or workplace. The coffee shop came into being through the efforts of tons of community members, from investors who help with startup capital to contractors who help build out the space and so many others. In this conversation, you'll hear about Cote's dedication to helping her community grow and thrive while also operating a financially sustainable business. You'll learn, as you have from so many other guests on this show, the essential need for listening to and collaborating with neighbors to make an effort like this successful and meaningful. And you'll also hear about the unique ways Cote has adapted her business and space during covid So I hope you enjoy and appreciate this conversation with Cote Sorens. Here it is. So Cote Sorens, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. So good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to starting
1: your coffee shop? Sure. As you can hear with my accent, I am an immigrant from Chile. I came to the U.S. in 2005, and I did not know anybody when I, when I moved to Seattle, where I ended up. And a key place for me to get to know people and, and, and make it into this country was basically a neighborhood coffee shop that was open back in the day. And that really impacted me as far as uh, providing a space where I could meet people at their own pace. <laughs> Years later, I, you know, kept thinking about how change happens and I get more involved into immigration rights and more in the, in the social justice uh, movement locally. And one thing that really came to my attention was the idea of committing to a place, committing to a neighborhood as a, as a model of change. So I did move to this neighborhood in Seattle, which is called South Park. And it's an immigrant neighborhood. It's a a blue collar uh, neighborhood that has a lot of challenges. And it came clear to me that in this particular neighborhood, we could use a place like that coffee shop that had helped me so much back when I moved into the States and didn't know anybody. (laughs) So the value of that kind of third space to really connect people and be each other's rich uncle, <laughs> you know, seemed quite powerful. So, yeah, that's why I opened Resistencia Coffee. <laughs> Got it. And how long have you been
0: operating for?
1: Uh, we opened Resistencia in 2018.
0: Okay, so pretty
1: new. Yes, very new.
0: How do you see your coffee shop kind of orienting itself towards neighbors and towards um, the community versus like just being, you know, another Starbucks that gets plunked in and churns out the cappuccinos. Like, what do you do to make it a space that's really welcoming for people?
1: That clearly goes to our like, why are we doing this business, right? So because the last thing we needed in Seattle was another coffee shop, right? People, people know where to find their coffee. But one thing that impacted me uh, deeply about South Park as a neighborhood was that um, you know there is a lot of civic energy in this neighborhood, and a lot of, we, we rank very highly on neighborliness. But nothing in the built environment in the in the in the little downtown area of the neighborhood spoke or told the story of who we are, and there weren't many places where we could just come together and just run into each other, so. That is how I identified, not only myself, but, you know, I kept kept hearing neighbors talking about this, about the need for a space like that. So the idea of Resistencia is mostly like coffee is a means Mm -hmm. to an end of creating a physical space that is accessible to people, is accessible to everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what your story is uh, of how different you are from each other. If you are here in the neighborhood, you have a place to go. <laughs> and just naturally, organically, just having this, this this space encourages people connecting to each other and, and that encourages civic participation and encourages, um, you know, uh, better uh, initiatives uh, just by virtue of people getting to know each other. So, so to me, uh, the coffee was just an excuse, basically. It's like, okay, what is a democratic a space here in Seattle, coffee shops. (laughs) Yeah. How did you go about um, setting
0: up like the physical space itself to be welcoming? Like, are there couches or like a communal table for people at meetings? Or like, what what is the space like for people um, who are listening?
1: Well, we were really limited, actually, because our space is very tiny. If I had 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 my way, we would have had a really huge space. Um, because it was the only space available. Actually, um, you know, when you are committed to a to a particular neighborhood, uh, you only have the options that that neighborhood gives you, right? So this space came available, and it's it's like a nine hundred square foot space, or, or or smaller than that. I think that was our space. So we basically uh, made it work as um. It, but the idea of of making space for people it informed every decision we made on the design. So for example, whereas some other people would have uh, devoted more space to back of the house, you know, to a kitchen or to fridges and stuff, we wanted to devote more space for people. So we did not, we do not have a kitchen, for example. And that led into our business model being more of, okay, we're going to make coffee and we're going to source all the food from local Food vendors and entrepreneurs, right? So we oh, okay. don't cook yeah. at the coffee shop, and that is because we needed more space for seating, for example. Yeah, we we have a, a big table in the back. Um, you know, uh, our counters are low, are very low counters, so that uh, there is more space for interaction between baristas and customers, for example. The space was was um, was delimited because there is a, a stair that goes into into a second floors um, apartments from the outside so we just knock knocked down that wall you know to make room underneath the stairs for a kids area so oh nice yeah <laughs> the back of the coffee shop we put a huge uh, garage door that that, that is made of, of windows so it wasn't very important to us that there was a lot of light at the coffee shop so there is a huge garage door that opens into the parking area that, if we lived in a different society that was less card oriented, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we would love to make into more of a public space. You know? <laughs> so yeah, th- those elements, we did as much as we could with this space. And actually, we even have been able to host events like open mics and stuff uh, with this very limited space. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask about that. Like, what have people done in the space besides just you know sitting and hanging out and meeting their neighbors? Are are people having like community meetings or events?
1: Yeah, all of that. (laughs) The first initiative we had that that actually um, led into something bigger was was Café con Leche, the open mic. One of our baristas, uh, Dennis Diaz, he had just moved from New York and he was like hey we should we should do an open mic okay let's do it and it was a really important space for us because um you know south park is a gentrifying neighborhood and in any gentrifying neighborhood uh, the story of the neighborhood is 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 contested right it's like what what neighborhood is this right and cafe con leche uh, actually uh, provided a, a platform for um, many artists of, of color to who live in, in the neighborhood to not only come present the art but also um, get to know each other. That level of sharing and friendship led to what is now the South Park Arts and Culture Collective, right? We that that came out of, of this coffee shop. Yeah, some council members sometimes have had uh, meetings here. People do their meetings here because uh, there isn't much space actually to to do that in the neighborhood, uh, which is why we rented the second floor. There was an apartment upstairs that we rented as a as a very low key co working space because we ah, quickly. Okay. Yeah, it was very limited very quickly.
0: <laughs> how did you go about like starting up this business? You know, some of like the practicals, um, did you partner with other local organizations or investors or like, how are you making the the business like run and be like financially sustainable? If you're comfortable speaking to that, oh, you know, you yeah. don't have to go into like the specifics no, of your budget. But, no,
1: yeah. I do think that it's really important for us to talk about budgets and financing because... Yeah, that opens more opportunities for, for people to, to when they learn, oh, how did you do it? You know, they can do yeah, it. Yeah, the exactly. Most, right? um, so there are a lot of good ideas there. But if we don't equip people to, you know, with information, you know, it's really fun because when I started talking about a, a coffee shop, you, you know, Seattle is a, is a cautionary tale on what happens when we when we don't protect community control spaces. Right. So so the price of rent of any retail spot in Seattle is 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 it's very cost prohibitive the price of construction too right so when i started talking about hey i want to do a coffee shop which a uh, full disclosure i had zero experience on retail or coffee or anything people were looking at me you know with a with a like almost laughing right like kid. <laughs> You're so cute. The way we went about it was basically to not to focus on what we didn't have, but to focus on what was right here in front of us, right? So one thing we did when we when we first moved into the neighborhood with with my family was where we started um, hosting soup nights, which basically we just would make soup, and a lot of people, anybody who lived in South Park could come, share a meal with us, and that is how the whole idea of the coffee shop started. So they um they started talking, hey, when there's a place where we could have meetings or we could check our kids, you know, and all that. And it hit me one day, like, whoa, you know what? Uh, I looked around the table and I was like, we have everything we need here just to do this, right? And there are things you wouldn't know unless you're, like, very invested in talking to people and building relationships. So South Park, you know, there is the, 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 the official version of South Park as a very needy place, you know? But if you believe that version, then you stop looking at your own neighborhood as a place of, of resources, right? So thankfully, I did not believe that version. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I started getting to know my neighbors. There were people who actually had money to invest, you know, neighbors that you wouldn't have thought about. Uh, and they offered, like, hey, you know what, we'll, um, we believe in this vision. We want to get behind it. We can offer up to 20% of anything that would cost. Like, wow, thank you, <laughs> you know. So then uh, we couldn't find a contractor. Uh, because the build-out of the space was rather overwhelming. Um, basically, the landlord just rented us a cave. You know, it had a hole in the floor for sewer. That was it. So a lot of people were intimidated by the by the level of build-out, and they turned down that space. But you know, we we saw the importance of having a place like that in the neighborhood. So we we took that space, and we we weren't discouraged by the by the challenge, right? And um, said, so, okay, we can't find a contractor, so I had to become one. But uh, our neighbor, Mateo, he he knows construction, so he led the construction crew. Our neighbors, Malik and Jessica, they are architects. They believed in this vision, and they donated the plans. Kate Hone, he's an amazing woodworker, and he's the one who gentrified the coffee shop because he offered to work. He put up a beautiful, beautiful countertop, Um in exchange for coffee, for life, <laughs> you know, like um, good deal, yeah, right, incredible good deal. So uh, it was like a barn race. Like anybody who knew how to do something would come and offer it. You know, uh, we needed to pour concrete one day with with uh, who's now the manager of the coffee shop, Shisuna Winkup, and we were looking at YouTube videos on how to do this. <laughs> and uh, our friend Andy just came with a with a concrete mixer. <laughs> and I was like, hey, here here is how you do it. <laughs> um, wow. Every day, every day, somebody would come in and say, "Hey, I know how to do this. Can I do it?" Of course, you know. So um, we were able to 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 open this coffee shop in half the time it should have taken, and at half the budget it should have taken. So um, I think that's a great testament of, of of what happens when you when you really focus on the gifts of your neighborhood, right? What What are the things that you can? you can do with with the, with the people that are there and and people are so excited to put their gifts to work too you know mm-hmm. it, it, it gives everybody yeah, an opportunity beautiful it was <laughs> so but you asked me about now too right so that's the origin story basically
0: yeah yeah how how does the business kind of financially sustain itself now and definitely i was going to ask next about you know the last year of covid i imagine that that has made the business really challenging
1: yeah, it was because 2020 was supposed to be our year, right? <laughs> mm, <laughs> but yeah. uh, but you know what? Um, we, we've we done well. You know, the, this was a risky area because the food traffic is pretty low. But nevertheless, people have really resonated with uh, what we have to offer as a space. Um, so th- there, there is a little bit of a... So for the people in this neighborhood, you know, uh, they've really embraced... Uh, Resistencia as their coffee shop and, and made it what it is, you know, I feel that we, we've really worked really hard at communicating that this space is for you as a South Park resident, no matter who you are, you know, um, or, or especially because of who you are, you know, we want uh, your gifts and your traditions and your way of doing things to, to inform what this coffee shop is. And I think people have resonated with that. To, to co-create it and to own it in that way, and for people who are not from South Park, actually, we've noticed that they have this little bit of a nostalgia of, hey, this coffee shop reminds us of what it used to be back in, like, say, the '90s, you know, what I mean? uh, yeah. um, where, where neighborhoods felt more like neighborhoods. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's been an, an ethos that has been formed that has resonated with people that has actually made it quite successful as a business.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. And, but during the pandemic, actually, it was really interesting to see that while our revenue had plummeted from sales during the first months, the tips uh, continued to be the same, the same amount of money uh, because people people were
0: were stepping up,
1: they were supporting, you know, they were supporting as much as we could and uh, they could, and we set this up as a partnership. So, so for the for the capital, you know, uh, there were two other couples that, that live in the neighborhood that that provided funding. And amongst the the ownership team, uh, it became really important that our priority during the pandemic was one to to continue providing good jobs to our staff, no matter what the revenue was. We, we were going to continue providing good jobs to our staff and that we were con- going to continue to be open to our neighborhood because our neighborhood needed us. So we did close for two weeks to understand what was happening and what changes we needed to make to operate safely. But then another thing that happened, this being a needy neighborhood, uh, um, food access became quite a problem in the neighborhood. But The year before, we had been co-founders of the Urban Fresh Food Collective to increase access to fresh food in South Park, which is a food desert. During the pandemic, because no one could be sitting and stuff, we started using uh, the real estate of the coffee shop as a a food bank, effectively. So people could come just grab food if they needed it. There there were other sharing tables around the neighborhood. We were one of them, basically. So if you needed food, you could come have it. We also threw um, power out so that uh, houseless neighbors could charge their phones and whatnot. Because uh, one thing that happened was that the only other places, that are community spaces in, in the neighborhood are city run. So one is the library and the other is the community center and the school. And they couldn't be opened. So we were the only space that was open to community. So that is why we first welcomed a neighborhood a neighbor who got really scared about like 80 percent of our students at the elementary school um get free lunch right so she was she was very concerned about this so she started making food for students so it's so like hey you can do it out of the coffee shop okay then we started routing uh, donations and then uh, we started a free market called el mercadito every thursday morning to provide fresh food and it's still running a year later so that people know, people know that we are, we are for real <laughs> committed and people respond to that, you know, by, by, by way of supporting. Yeah.
0: I love hearing about how invested everyone seems in like the business succeeding and also in, um, having it be a place where neighbors can help each other. That's it's just amazing. And especially to have adapted so much during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I, I love this this idea of sustaining each other. So, some businesses kind of don't think about that. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what
0: has been the impact of of this business as a presence in the neighborhood? Like, how have the other businesses on the street reacted or or been involved in any of your efforts? Or are you kind of like standing alone on, on your street? What's what's the interaction been like with the surrounding
1: um, neighborhood and businesses? During COVID, you mean? Um, just generally. The, this particular corner had been empty for a long time. The, the building was pretty run down and then it changed owners and they started renting it out. So in this particular corner, all of us opened at the same time. So that created quite a bit of a camaraderie because we were all dealing with our build-outs around, around the same time, you know, so we were very fortunate to have, for example, Rob Coburn, who's the the owner of South Town Pie, uh, Rob and uh, This was their second business, so they knew a lot more. So before we opened this location, we had a little cart across the street, so they would buy coffee there, and and that created an opportunity for us to, to connect, and, and he would... Impart knowledge, right? Like, hey, Rob, what can we do about this? You know, <laughs> or we would check in with each other. You know, with Uncle Eddie's two in the corners, like, how are you guys doing with your build-out? Yeah, well, we're stuck in this particular thing, and you know, we would encourage each other. Uh, so that was that was really great. Um, some businesses are more community oriented than others. You know, um, so one great gift that we have as far as like sisterhood is is um, the South Park Hall. Their owner is uh, Melanie Granger. It's an event space, but Melanie runs the only, in Seattle, the only black owned um, indoor play space for, for for kids. And the way Melanie moves is just very much in line with how we move. So uh, it's created quite a positive space here for parents and for artists in the neighborhood between the South Park Hall and Resistencia Coffee. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Sounds like a lot of like closeness and and synergy with the surrounding neighborhood. What's next for you guys as you look at the year ahead and presumably like opening up a little bit more, perhaps? Um, what are your hopes for this coming year? Oh my gosh! Um,
1: well, you know, uh, it's been said that hope is a discipline. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We heard it first from uh, Willie James Jennings, but I believe there was a, a female abolitionist who said it, and I'm blanked on on her name. But yes, uh, you know, I feel that we've been hoping for a whole year. <laughs> what I'm looking forward to the most is the ability to uh, convene gatherings again, just to have the open mics, you know, I miss it a lot. I feel that I'm still recovering from the emotional backlash of, of this past year. To, you know how when when you when you go through some something difficult, it's it's hard to look into the future because you're still kind of trying to figure out today. We have done pretty well throughout the pandemic. We've been able to capitalize a lot on on the PPP loans, and as well as um, you know the the city of Seattle has offered some stabilization funds that um, we we've been able to to take advantage of. So. All of that help, that federal help and local help has been instrumental for us to continue remaining open. There is a sense in which we really miss the, 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 the busyness, the buzzing, you know, of our coffee shop used to be open. It was really hard to find a, a place to sit, uh, you know, on a Friday morning. So that I'm looking forward to having again, you know, and so much comes out of that as far as connection and and... I'm not ready to 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 plan for too much. i'm I'm very cautious right now. I think that we're all very cautious <laughs> as far as like <laughs> yeah, uh, let's
0: but looking let's, forward to getting right, together with more people, yeah,
1: right, because you know that it's like, okay, the vaccines are going great, but then people are not taking them. <laughs> so, um,
0: yeah, a long yeah. road ahead still.
1: right. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah so to close this out i would love to hear what advice you might offer for others who would be interested in starting a business like yours or some sort of community space what suggestions would you have what advice would
1: you offer you know like anything that 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 demands leadership right like um any any endeavor like this is a people growing machine you know (laughs) you grow so much out of just um having to become more self-aware what you put out in the world is is an expression of your values and 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 your character sometimes you know practicing self-awareness as as you go through it seems really important for us too like it's like okay uh, thinking about what are the implications of this particular business of this par- or this particular initiative in this particular place you know as i mentioned south park is a gentrifying neighborhood a coffee shop is usually the First indicator, a hip coffee shop. The first indicator that, that things are about to change, right? We're cognizant of of, of that. Well, I mean, we we get we get requests from from real estate people, real estate agents, all the time to to mention our coffee shop in their listing, right? When we say no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like we ask them questions. Hey, do you think that uh, anybody who lives here will be able to afford that house? They <laughs> Say no. It's like then you can't. Have it. No, you can't. But in the same way, businesses are so much more than what it is being sold. You know, in, in our case, you know, the, the, it's not about the coffee. You know, it's about the space. It's about responsibility to this neighborhood. So. You know, you can't be saying that you're all about this neighborhood if you're gentrifying and kicking out the the people who live here, right? So in our particular case, uh, has been really highlighting local ownership, really highlighting, really looking at how the money is being moved, like who's getting the money at the end of the day, you know? So we're hiring from this neighborhood. We are training people from this neighborhood to work as baristas and excellent baristas, you know? in an industry that has not really represented racially to people like the people in my neighborhood, you know, we're changing the industry a little bit, you know, in that way. And I like it. (laughs) So, so yeah, sometimes you, you know, sometimes we all have really good intentions, you know, being honest with oneself about what is it that your business is doing in a particular place and how can you highlight the benefit and mitigate the, the, the impacts. You know, be putting a lot of intentionality on on what is the impact that you want this business to have in your community. So for us it's community control space. We want this space to be controlled by community. Our landlords have a problem with that and they've made it known. You know, they <laughs> in their minds they own the place, you know. In our minds, like eh, that's just a paper, dude. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> And we're adults because of that, you know? <laughs> so for people who are wanting to do something, that's one, one uh, thing that I would have them note, you know? It's like, uh, think, about, think about the whole process. Like, what, how is the money going to move here? Who is going to participate here? How are you going to communicate that? Uh, what is the emotional resonance that you want to put out there? What are the areas within yourself that need to grow and mature, you know? If you say you care about social justice, how's your staff being treated, you know? Uh, in the food industry, a lot of people feel disposable, you know? That's been a big one. Like, for example, like, you know, there is a way the food industry, businesses in the food industry are run to to maximize uh, profit, right? But, you know, coming from, from the immigrant rights movement and coming from like, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, worker's rights movements, like okay, I'm a business owner now. How <laughs> how am I treating my workers? You know, like um, how, what are they getting out of this? You know, those are important questions. I think that have to do with consistency in how you run your business. And um, it's it's a beautiful calling. I think it's a beautiful responsibility to to have something <laughs> like that.
0: Yeah, it seems like you found a way to pay people good wages and make it a good place to work um, where where people are supported, um, but also make it a business that is financially functioning, which that's a really uh, impressive achievement. I'm a big
1: believer that you cannot have one without the other.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because,
1: For example, right now, I mean, I'm not saying anything about the character of these particular business owners, so bear with me here. But within the food industry right now, it's been really difficult to find workers. So there are many businesses that are not being able to operate because they don't have people to work for them. We are really grateful that our entire staff decided to stay working with us throughout the pandemic. That says a lot about who they are and also it says a lot about how they feel working at Resistencia. Of course, I'm, I'm not only really grateful, I'm also proud, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, maybe we're doing something right, you know. Um that we haven't had our business interrupted because people feel cared for and they want to care f- for the community back. And, and you know, or, or so the same, the same way like that we were genuinely committed to being open for our community that creates a lot of goodwill amongst your customer base. So they, if you're struggling, they're going to show up for you. So our revenue plummeted the first couple months, but, not after things normalized a little bit. I mean, I would like to you, if I tell you like we're struggling financially, I think that, yes, we're not making as much profit as we would like, but our cash flow is intact. You know, we're paying our bills. And, um, and I think that is a testament to uh, the relationships that we've been able to foster with our staff, with our neighborhood, uh, with our partners and with the city. I guess this is something that strong towns may hear a lot in your podcast, like relationships are really important, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's a great note to end on. Um, Thank you so much, Cote Sorens, for joining me for this conversation. I'll definitely share links to your coffee shop's website and Instagram and everything. Yeah, just really appreciate getting the chance to talk with you and, and feature you on our show. Thank you so
1: much, Rachel.